In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Presently, my world is all about language. We're helping Claire in first grade as she builds her vocabulary in reading. And at an albeit slower pace, I'm trying to learn Spanish for our later service in the afternoons. And if it's been a while since you've learned a language or you've helped someone towards that end, um, recall there's, there's certain uh, markers and things that assist us in building our fluency. Some comes at the hands of, of helpful instructors and guides along the way. Sometimes it comes through rules that assist us in learning language, like what to do with two O's next to each other that make an OO noise. Or as I'm learning in Spanish, V is not a hard V, but actually a soft V for them, almost like a B. And then there's other aspects of it that are just gained through memory. In fact, Claire brings home usually once a week uh, a set of commonly known words, and we go through those repetitiously so that you begin to see them as you go through them time and time again. For me, my commonly held words are mostly uh, in the liturgy itself that I see week in and week out, and hopefully uh, begin to train an ear for both hearing them and speaking them in due course. And I share this because in many ways, um, in, in this season of Advent, we, we build a language, a language of, of, of the Christian life, uh, ways that we prepare daily, uh, not only just as we do a week from today uh, for Jesus' entrance into the world, but as we're reminded week after week, we're likewise preparing for Jesus' return. And just like we learn a language, there are ways in which we learn and build that fluency in the Christian life. In fact, uh, one great quote that I always love from a, a Christian theologian noted that in many ways, the incarnation did not Christianize humanity, it humanized humanity. The incarnation did not Christianize or humanity, but humanized humanity. In a sense, um, as some Christian songwriters will put, we learn to be fully human Jesus shows us the language of what it means to be fully human because the language we know is a, is a sinful and selfish language that is not the language of humanity as God purposed it. And so in many ways, um, Scripture and the teachings of the church and all these things assist us towards that end. And so this morning, um, I'd like for us to think about this Advent learning, the Advent learning of the language of humanity in Christ through the pages of Scripture and more specifically, um, towards the, the end of Paul's letter from the Thessalonians, the first letter of the Thessalonians in chapter 5. We've been bouncing in and out of this letter throughout the fall every few weeks, but to remind you of where it lands, um, first and Thess second Thessalonians um, are part of Paul's earliest works. Uh, the Christians in Thessalonica uh, believed and understood and, and affirmed the fact that Jesus would return and actually behaved and ordered their lives in such a way that they expected that to happen in their lifetime, which presented all sort and manners of topics. So after addressing what becomes of those who've fallen asleep or those who departed from this life, what manner of life should they be living? How uh, do they deal with those who are idle and those who are working? All these things, what does life in community look like? We reach the end of this epistle um, in the fifth chapter with some final instructions of Paul. And it opens actually with a request. First, Paul says, we ask you or uh, we urge you, brothers uh, and sisters, to respect those who labor among you 
and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Respect those basically who instruct you. Esteem them, hold them in high regard uh, and high love because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves as you are instructed by them. And then as you work this out, this instruction, this language of love, the language of humanity uh, through Christ Jesus in your midst. In many ways, um, Paul pulls forward a first lesson for us there, namely um, of mentoring the need for instructors and guides along the way. And before you think that this is some sort of self-aggrandizing way to basically puff up my position in the body of Christ, that's not the case. Um, In fact, I submit myself readily to such learning um, all the time. In fact, uh, I continue to find ways to learn and grow because I'm a firm believer that if you don't do so, um, you're not continuing to be faithful to the call to grow daily in Christ Jesus. And so for me, that's a whole cadre of folks, from literal instructors uh, in education uh, to senior leaders who mentor me, and even spiritual directors who presently um, are not even ordained. I have one layperson. It's it's, it's a whole group of folks that constitute my anvil on which God works me out uh, and hones me more by His grace, Lord willing, to look more as He is. And so Paul pulls forward this idea of mentoring and instruction to remind us that we should um, pay particular attention to the need for it. It doesn't just come through osmosis. We don't just sleep on our Bible and wake up to look more like Jesus. We actually have to work that out. We have to spend careful time and examination both of, of Scripture and the teachings of the church and our own lives and square up against it. And Paul wants us to see, just as we did uh, when we learn any language, it comes often at the hands of those who help guide us along the way. And so we're called to reflect. What uh, ways do we submit ourselves to such mentoring and instructions? Or what ways might we grow um, to do so, perhaps as we look at the year to come? Where could we be more invested towards that end? What might God purpose to reveal for us as we gain more fluency, if you will, in that language? And then he turns from this this topic of of admonishing them uh, to such mentorship, to such instruction back in verse 14, to another lesson, uh, another lesson, if you will, that helps us in learning this language of humanity through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says... We urge you, brothers, or basically we beg you to do a number of things as the body of Christ, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Um, In in our language, idle and faint-hearted don't look at all alike, but there's actually a similarity in the text in which Paul writes where um, the idle and the faint-hearted, basically the the idle are those who are kind of self-interested, Uh, where those who are faint-hearted are are those who basically have not much self-esteem. So there's kind of a play on words there that he's using to basically say, um, admonish the idol, help bring them back on the path that they've strayed, encourage the faint-hearted, namely those who hold themselves in low esteem, who think they don't have much to offer, encourage them to use their gifts, see they have something to offer to the body of Christ, And help the weak, those who are infirm, those who cannot care for themselves, and be patient with them all. And then see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In a sense, a a second way of learning here that Paul pulls forward, which I would say is the growth edge for the American church as a whole, um, is that of mutual support. We do pretty well 
uh, in our culture with this idea of learning. We, we value education. We value gaining uh, knowledge and understanding. Um, but that doesn't always translate into action. And the action of mutual support means that we're putting into practice what we've learned, and we help others do the same. Our educators would, would probably be quick to point out that the way you know that someone has truly learned something is when they can then explain it to someone else. And so, in many ways, that's what we're called to do. It's not just knowledge that puffs up, but a knowledge that we put into practice in a way that we support one another. We do fairly well in the church of tending to those who are infirmed. We know how to uh, write cards and pay visits and, and drop off meals, and, and we know the caregiving role. I'd say the other two areas are a little harder. It's harder to encourage the faint-hearted when we ourselves may see ourselves as faint-hearted. And the only way really to grow in that is to offer ourselves uh, to the church and to put our gifts and talents out there, or at least just bumble around enough until we discover uh, what it is that God reveals to us. Sometimes it's just filling a gap. It's not, it's not necessarily uh, rocket science towards that end. And then the, the one area that I think we flag out the most is in this idea of admonishing the idol. In fact, the only area of the church that does this really well is in recovery work. But we could learn a lot from that. How do we help those who've strayed off the path? It can be as simple as a loving nudge. We haven't seen you in a while and just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. That may be a quick course correction. Gosh, I've gotten lost in the midst of life. Thank you for reaching out. Um, in other ways, it may mean that um, we have that vulnerable task, which we have to submit ourselves to as well, which is I'm working on this aspect, my prayer life. Uh, my priorities, my anger, whatever that is. And we, we share those things in, in small groups and Bible studies, and we ask for prayer and support. And then we ask others what is their area of a growth edge. In a sense, the church, uh, if she does these things well, is the most attractive organization on earth. Think about all the things around us culturally that try to do those three things. Charitable organizations that try to support the weak. Um, organizations that create rules and governance and guidelines to try to keep those in line. And then ways and incentives that organizations try to encourage one another to be built up toward that end. And yet, void of the Holy Spirit, they always come up shy. And so the church has a way to say, we can't do this on our own, but we join one another in learning this language, this language of humanity and practicing it with one another toward that end. And so there's a submission to um, this mentorship. There's a, a joining in, if you will, towards this mutual support. And then the last area um, would almost be the sight words, if you will, the things that we just need to commit to memory and then begin to practice, or at least do so regularly. And they're kind of these rapid-fire um, teachings that, that Paul puts in towards the end of this letter. Begins first with this reminder that we rejoice always that we always celebrate what God is doing. He writes that to a church that he knows well and good is going through hard things, and that those in the first few centuries would find any reason not to rejoice always. And yet he stands that out with the admonition at the very end, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers, basically that we need to be reminded of these things, that we pray without ceasing, never fail or stop praying, Never flag on asking for God's wisdom and grace, healing and guidance. It keeps us tethered to him in a constant conversation. 
and give thanks in all circumstances. The best way to turn around our frame is to give thanks. You can't stay in a funk when you start going through all the list of things that God has done. And sometimes we have to start really, really big because we're in a really, really hard spot, and that's okay. In a sense, these are kind of the threefold chords that should be on the daily memory work of our lives. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. It's a repeat day in and day out. And then finally, he says, don't despise or don't quench the spirit. Don't despise the ongoing direction and revelation of God through prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from what is evil. Clement of Alexandria um, kind of framed those last few verses in a helpful way. He said, uh, be approved money changers. He said, just as a money changer can uh, more or less distinguish between the real and the counterfeit currency, so as, as believers, if we're working that fluency out and we're going through, if you will, this, this memory work um, in our lives, that then we know how to test what teaching is from God and what is not, what direction and discernment is self-serving or what is God's direction through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so we become approved money changers towards that, and it's kind of a helpful frame for those last few verses. All towards the end, as he concludes, that the name, uh, oh, the God of peace himself may sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's he who will do it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it, Paul says, and pray for us, and greet one another. Live in a different way, he says. Toward that end, this, this last kind of week or so of Advent learning, because we're kind of truncated, right, uh, next week in a twofer on Sunday, is a reminder towards the end that this learning is ongoing. It's not to cap out a season and move on, but it's a learning that grows us in the language or the fluency of uh, the love of God, which is revealed in Christ Jesus as we remind ourselves that he stepped into the world for our sake next week. And that as we converse and gain fluency with one another, we build one another up towards that end. But it shouldn't just remain in the household of faith. Uh, in fact, it should spill back out into the world uh, that has a different language and does not understand the full language of humanity. And so the way in which we interact with one another and way in which we live then helps them see a different language to learn. Because that language is a language that everyone will speak upon Jesus' return. And so it gains our fluency towards that end as we practice it, and then we help others grow to discover it as well. It comes through these ways, just like we learn any language, through careful instruction and mentoring, through mutual support, trying it out, working it out with one another. And then the daily memory work of those things that should be on ready recall toward that end to assist us in that growth in the likeness of Jesus. So as we wrap up this week that really centers upon rejoicing and hope, our hope is found in a different way to be human, if you will, the, the true humanity, if you will, that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For as we celebrate next week, the incarnation did not Christianize humanity, it humanized humanity. And so we're called to grow in that language both this day until we speak it with him forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.